Today, I get the privilege of continuing in our series that we started a few weeks ago uh, called Elisha, Miracle Messenger. And uh, in this series, we've been looking at the life and the ministry of the prophet Elisha in 2 Kings. And our goal in this series is to not only learn from Elisha's life, but to instill wonder in the word of God uh, to inspire miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you don't know, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is at work in us and that we have access to and that we can experience and that we can express to other people. And so we're excited to be able to continue uh, in this series today with that goal in mind. So to start, though, I want to tell you a bit of a story. And uh, so my wife and I uh, here actually next weekend will be celebrating 20 years of marriage, which is very exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I think it's been a great 20 years. She, she may have, <laughs> you, may, you may have to ask her what she, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we've had a great uh, 20 years. It's been awesome. We've been together actually 25. I know I don't look that old, but um, we've been together a long time. Uh, well, this story that I want to tell you goes back to the buying of our first home. So we were just about three years into our marriage and we were living in Muncie, Indiana, uh, where my wife was finishing up at Ball State. Now we had never planned on living in Muncie. If you know Muncie, there's really nothing there other than Ball State. Okay. Um, but, uh, we loved the people that we, uh, got to meet there. We had a great church there, just a lot of, a lot of great relationships. So we decided to put down some roots and buy our first home. And so it was this cute, Two and a half, two bedroom, one and a half bath, Bedford Stone home on a dead end street. We loved our location. If you anything, know anything about Muncie, it was off of McGalliard because everything is off of McGalliard and Muncie. Um, and so it was off of McGalliard on the dead end street. And not only was it cool because it was close to the amenities, but our children's pastor and his wife that were at the church lived six houses away. So we got to get to know them and become really, really close friends with them. It was awesome. So we loved our house and we, could, we couldn't be any happier until... A couple of weeks into our home, we came home from church one fall day, and we found a folded up note on our front door. Now, we were curious what the note said, so we opened it up, and we found that it was a note from our new neighbor across the street, and this is what the note said. Hello, I wanted you to know that I raked your leaves in my yard for several hours this morning. The people who used to live here before you took care of the leaves, so you should be able to as well. That was the note we found on our door. And as you can imagine, we were taken aback and surprised by it because it was so rude. We just moved in. And just to be clear, my wife and I had already worked on our leaves. We'd raked them into piles. We just hadn't gotten them into bags yet, okay? So we were working on it. But in the middle of my wife and I's discussion about how rude this note was, that same neighbor walked over to my house to tell me what the note said. Because he wanted me to hear it from him, I guess. And so you can imagine it was a very tense and not helpful conversation. And I know uh, I could have done a lot better and I could have handled it a lot better. But I remember myself saying loudly as he walked away, 
Well, that's a nice welcome to the neighborhood. Making sure he heard me as he left, okay? Now, I tell you that story because we're going to dig into the life of Elisha and hear more of his story. And we're going to see how Elisha interacts with his enemies, or what I like to call today his haters. And yes, I dressed for the occasion, okay? So that day in our neighborhood was awkward, and it was hard, and it felt weird, and it felt like my new neighbor became now my enemy or my hater. I mean, what was it going to be like now that we had this interaction? I mean, how was he going to treat us? How were we supposed to treat him? These were the questions that we were starting to ask. We weren't expecting to ask these questions and having to answer them so early in our marriage and in our first home and in a brand new neighborhood. I mean, we wanted to start out in our new neighborhood way better than this. And to be quite honest, we were kind of like, did we make a mistake moving into this neighborhood? You know? And so as I think back about that interaction, it reminds me of a phrase that has now become a very popular meme uh, these days. And it's called, haters gonna hate. Anybody ever heard that phrase, haters gonna hate? Right? Haters gonna hate is a catchphrase that's used by the kids these days, which makes me old. Um, So it's, it's used by the kids to indicate a disregard for hostile remarks addressed toward the speaker. So if you just Google haters going to hate, you're going to come up with some interesting results, kind of like these. Okay. We got haters going to hate, 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 you know, Taylor Swift, if you're a T-Swift fan, haters going to hate with SpongeBob. Got a next slide. Uh, I like the, the, the one for Yoda going to hate haters are. Um, so anyway, it's become a very popular phrase, very popular meme these days. Here's a definition. Haters going to hate is a colloquial saying that means that people who don't like you will always find a reason to dislike you, no matter how stupid their reason may be. I like that definition. It's dumb. They don't like you, and it doesn't make much sense. So I guess that day with my neighbor, rather than saying, well, that's a nice welcome to the neighborhood, I could have said, haters gonna hate. I don't think he would have understood me. He was much older than me. But but here's the deal. That's my story. That's my neighbor. Let's call him Roger. That's not his real name, but let's call him Roger. Roger became one of my haters that day, one of my enemies. What about you? Before we get into the text, I'm curious, who are your haters? Maybe for you, it's that family member that you don't get along with. And you know, the annual July 4th gathering is coming up and you know, you're going to have to hang out with that person. And you just try to avoid them as much as possible. Or maybe for you, your, your hater is that coworker who just rubs you the wrong way, right? They said that one thing, that one time that was so hurtful and mean and short-sighted. Or maybe for you, it's your boss. Maybe uh, your boss is somebody you cannot stand. They just keep giving you projects and they keep telling you to do things and they have no idea what it's like to do your job. Maybe that's a hater for you. Or maybe it could be that customer or client that's really demanding or even degrading. Or maybe for you, a hater is your ex, right? That, that man, when you split years ago, they treated you like trash when the, through the divorce process. And man, they were hurtful and they were petty. And man, you would count them one of your enemies and one of your haters, I don't know. For you, maybe a hater is your current partner. You don't talk anymore. You don't even try to even look at each other anymore and you're sleeping in separate rooms. Maybe you have a hater right in your own home. 
Or maybe for you, uh, a hater could be that, that group, people group that you don't agree with or you don't understand. Or maybe it's that opposing political party from the one that you side with. Or maybe for you, a hater is like me. It's your next door neighbor and you fight about the dog barking or who cuts the grass or where the trash cans sit. I don't know, whoever it is, I think that we have something to learn today from the life of Elisha. And so I hope that you have someone or some ones in mind as we go throughout this story. So let's jump into 2 Kings chapter 6, if you have your Bible. We're going to see how Elisha deals with his haters versus how the king of Aram deals with his. So like I said, if you have a Bible, open up to 2 Kings chapter 6. And if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, man, we would love to be able to give you one. So on your way out today, stop by the connection corner, and we would love to give you a copy of the Bible uh, just as our gift to you. Okay, let's jump into 2 Kings Uh, chapter six, starting at verse eight. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on that place indicated by the man of God. And time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. So what I love is that as we start out the story, we start out by reading that the king of, Aram, king of Aram is at war with the king of Israel. But every move the king of Aram wants to make, the king of Israel uh, gets a word from Elisha, which he got from the word from God, right? Elisha here is to referred to as the man of God in this story. And it's thwarted because the king of Israel has God and Elisha on his side, and so what I like to think is that Elisha here is kind of like the king of Israel, uh, Israel's holy GPS navigation system, right? There's a slowdown up ahead, road closed, recalculating, alternate route, faster route found, right? Every time the king of Aram moved to strike or trap Israel, Elisha would change course and he would move Israel to safety, Man, I don't know about you, but man, I sure wish I had one of these in my life. Don't you? I mean, I would love to be able to get to where I want to go in the fastest way without any danger. That would be amazing. But unfortunately, that's not the way life works. And I think it's interesting here that Elisha uses his prophet connection with God to avoid his haters and Israel's haters just hopping from one location to the next, one step ahead at every turn. I mean, this is miraculous in and of itself. And it certainly kept Israel safe from an enemy. But what we're gonna see here in a few minutes is that God is setting up a unique opportunity for Elisha to face his haters. And we're gonna talk about that in a couple minutes. But before we move on, I wanna point out that Elisha here, when he's dealing with his haters, reminds me of how we often deal with our haters. And that is that we can often try to avoid them at first. We, we try to be around them as little as possible and only interact with them when we have to. Right, yeah, it keeps us uh, safe and out of socially awkward situations, but there's gotta be a better way, right? I mean, we, here's the thing, we're in church, we can be honest, right? We've all done this. We live in a small town. So the reality is if you have a hater, you're probably going to run into that person, 
right? And you've been in the store walking down uh, Martin's or, or, you know, in Kroger, and you see that person coming down the aisle, and you know you duck into the other aisle just to avoid them, right? Come on, we can be honest. We all do that. We avoid our haters because it's easier that way. We avoid all the awkwardness and all the pain and all of the silly things that we think about in our, in our minds. All right, back to the story. This leapfrog game that's happening with the king of Aram and Israel uh, does not make the king of Aram very happy, right? We read this in 2 Kings 6, verse 11. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me, which one of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Man, when we are in a battle with our haters, like the king of Aram was with Israel, we can begin to write stories and blame others, right? We, we write stories in our heads and we blame others. And this can be super unhelpful and unhealthy, right? It's so easy for us to blame shift and lash out at others for people that don't even have a part to play in the problem, right? The king of Aram here started blaming his troops and saying that there was a traitor in his ranks. But really, God was just working through Elisha. So much so that the king, uh, so much that they tell the king of Aram that Elisha tells the king of Israel the very words he speaks in his bedroom. I mean, that's wild. A little creepy, but also wild, Right? God is at work and helping Israel escape. And when we're dealing with our haters, right, we can become irrational and we can write a whole narrative about another person that may not even be true. We conjure up motives and intentions and may even play out mock scenarios in our heads. And that, here's the deal. This can be true about me. I am an eight on the Enneagram. I am a passionate person. I am a challenger. And so if you see me riding around town, you might see me talking to myself in my car. I do that a lot. Sometimes it's praying, but sometimes I'm in there driving and talking out a scenario in my mind, assigning all kinds of words, emotions, and judgments towards somebody else. With, and I haven't even had a conversation with that person. And I'm actually saying the words out loud because I'm an audible processor, right? This can be a dangerous place to be because it can plant a seed in us that man, and you know it all too well, right? When it's fully grown, it's ugly and it is not Christ-like. And it seems all too common these days after the last three years with COVID and election season and all of those other things we do that with people. And here's the sad part for me is that sometimes it feels like that's even true more so for those of us who are Christ followers. And then writing stories that we do often can move us from unhealthy thoughts to unhealthy actions, right? This can push us to get even more mad with our haters. And then we unwisely and too quickly take control with our actions. Uh, we can take action too quickly. 
Right, go, uh, look at this uh, in verse 13. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. Report back to me, right? Then he said, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there, and they went by night and surrounded the city. You see, the king here, the king of Aram, driven by frustration with Elisha, decides to take matters in his own hands and move swift, swiftly to capture Elisha and take control of what's holding him back. I'm especially struck by the words here, strong force in this verse. It makes me think that he overdid it a little bit, right? I mean, I can imagine that he could have, he could have sent just a couple of guys to go over and get Elisha, but no, he sends a whole army to get Elisha. And then I want to know, where's Naaman? We've been talking about Naaman the last week or two. I mean, where's Naaman in this story? Is he the one, the guy who got healed? Is he the guy who's now leading this army to come get Elisha? Fascinating. Right, this, this scene makes me think of that, that scene in The Office. Any, any Office fans in our, yeah, okay. I've been watching a lot of The Office these days. And you, ever, you remember that scene in The Office when um, Andy Bernard gets really, really mad at Jim Halpert for hiding his phone in the ceiling and he punches uh, the wall and then he goes, oh, that was a bit of an overreaction, right? Reminds me of that scene. This is an overreaction, From the king of Aram, sending a whole army to get Elisha. And I don't know about you, but any time that I'm in a battle with one of my haters, and I'm angry, and it is not good to move quickly, right? It's usually wise, and we know this, it's usually wise to slow down, take a breath, and seek wise counsel in those moments. Right, Proverbs 15, 22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. When we stop and we don't overreact and try to overreact with our actions, it's better. Right, this is, this is that moment uh, when you stop before you hit send on that two-page email you wrote on your phone, which by the way, it sends and it says sent from my iPhone, um, that two-page email that you sent from your iPhone at 1 a.m. to that boss or to that coach that is full of vitriol and word vomiting, right? It's that moment right before that, before you hit, eh, maybe I should think differently about that, right? Nothing good ever comes from those. It's wise to slow down, Don't hit send. Sleep on it because probably you're not going to send it the next day. None of us is at our best when we're triggered or we're angry or we're hurt. And man, when we are in a battle with one of our haters, man, we can go to what experts call an amygdala hijack, which can inhibit our rational thoughts. The amygdala in our brains is that part of our brains is the fight or flight response, right? And so the king of Aram Aram here, he goes all too quickly to the fight response and says, I'm, you know what? You're making me mad. I'm That's it. I'm going to go send an army to get Elisha. And he goes in to fight mode and he jumps too quickly into action. But here's what I love about this story. Elisha, on the other hand, man, he responds so differently. In dealing with his haters, he first remembers that God is 
for him. That God is for him. In the heat of the battle, his example reminds us that God is for us. God is for us. We read these uh, verses in, in 2 Kings six fifteen. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early in the morning, an army with horses and chariots surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. And here's Elisha's response, Elisha's response. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Right, this reminds me of the verse in Romans 8 that says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We have to remember that in the heat of the battle, God has already won the battle on the cross and through the grave, amen? And then the apostle Paul goes on in the book of Romans. He says, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Man, when we are in heat of the battle, this should give us resolve to know that God is in the battle and he can bring resolution. God is with you just like he was with Elisha. He is the same God. And he has given you the power of the Holy Spirit to lean on and to leverage and to use. Now, at this point in the story, we see another miraculous thing happen in verse 17. And Elijah prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. Man, I love this because God allows the servant to see like he sees with heavenly lenses. He gets to see a heavenly army ready to take on the army of Aram. I mean, how cool is that? God affords him that opportunity. He gets to see how God is gonna save them and help them overcome their haters. And here's the deal. This can be true for us too. God can help us see like he sees, to put on heavenly lenses and to see from his perspective. But all we have to do is slow down enough to listen for him and recognize his heart for people, to recognize that they are an imago dei, that they are an image bearer, that God made them. We just have to slow down enough to see it and push our feelings and emotions and thoughts aside to focus on who God created that person to be. Then Elisha does his uh, prophet flex, so to speak, because we get to see another miraculous part of this story. In verse 18, he says, as the, as the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them, he being God, struck them with blindness as Elisha had, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. And after they had entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there they were inside Samaria. What? Elijah performs a miracle of blindness to sight? Not only that, but then he takes this army of blind men on a 10-mile walk from Dothan to Samaria, 
Could you imagine taking a bunch of blind people who've never been blind before on a 10-mile walk on roads that were not paved? What a miracle. And then, I love this, because here in this part of the story, Elisha told a technical truth, but certainly intended to deceive the army. Right? He did, in fact, bring them to the man that they were looking for because when their eyes were opened, Elisha was before them. However, he led them back to Samaria, the capital city of the kingdom of Israel, which probably wouldn't have been a very friendly place to a group of Aramean soldiers. Right? I mean, this is such a fascinating miracle to me. And I cannot help but make a connection to their from their physical blindness to how we can be blind sometimes when it comes to how we see, treat, or deal with our haters. I mean, we can walk this life for a long time in the dark about someone else, right? We, can, we don't know what they're dealing with. We don't know what they're carrying. We, don't, we make assumptions and we assume the worst instead of believing the best. All we see is what's on the surface, and not necessarily what's below. I mean, I, I heard someone say once that when we're, especially when we're working through these kinds of things, we might ask the question, what's wrong with you? Right? That's, a, that's an appropriate question to ask when you're dealing with your haters. You might be saying, what's wrong with that person? But that's a bad question. The better question is, what happened to you? What happened to you? Because that question is an inquisitive one that says there's something that may be driving your behavior or your thoughts or your whatever it may be. And man, I think that's a way that we can be more compassionate to our haters and see them how God sees them. And I would tell you that that's definitely a posture that has more grace rather than what's wrong with you, but to say what happened to you. And here's the deal. You and I know this is all too well, that as Christ followers, we sometimes forget that we were once blind, right? Jesus opened our eyes and now we can see. He had compassion on us when we were his haters, when we were his enemies. So I just want to ask a question. So can we have the same compassion that God had for us and that Elisha has for this army? I mean, I don't know. Just ask the question. And then this leads to what I think is the most miraculous part of this story in verse 21. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you've captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. This is amazing. The king of Israel wants to kill their haters. But Elisha makes them dinner and sends them home. What? This is crazy. These guys who were Israel's haters and would have killed them if given the chance are now being fed and sent home. 
bellies full and blessed. This is a miraculous and and amazing response. And this is not the way that it worked in the first century. Oh, no, no, no. This, when you fought in a war like this, you fought until the end and you killed until the battle was won. Everything and everyone was plundered or destroyed. Do, do you remember that old saying when you were a kid, kill him with kindness, right? That's what Elisha did here. The king of Israel wanted to actually kill their enemies, their haters, but Elisha decided to kill them with kindness and love and compassion, and he feeds them. That's amazing to me. I also think it's interesting that last week, Kondo um, asked what happened to the slave girl that got abducted in the Aramean raids, right, in 1 Kings chapter 5. It's amazing to me that God didn't deal with the abduction raids when he hailed Naaman, right, the abductor. But he didn't forget it, and he didn't ignore it. At the end of this story, the raids stop once and for all. You see, God never ignores injustice. He never does. And even when it seems like he's not dealing with it, God will ultimately deal with our haters. Our job is just to love our haters. That's our job. God will do the rest. You see, Elisha shows us how we treat our haters is important. How we treat our haters is important. It's how Jesus would respond and it's how how he would want us to respond. And this isn't just a posture of politeness that we're like, okay, I'll walk on eggshells over here with you because I don't want to upset anybody. No, that's not what Elisha did here. This is to love them by serving them a meal. This is a posture of sacrifice and service for our enemies for our haters. This posture takes time and effort and energy for people we do not like. Talk about countercultural. Elisha shows us an interesting example. But guess what? It's the way of Jesus as well. Remember these words from Matthew 5? You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? These are the words of Jesus And I love that what Elisha does in 2 Kings has a direct connection to the words and the way of Jesus for you and for me. And I also got to point out, I love that these two groups of people were enemies fighting each other and then they became neighbors. They didn't didn't attack Israel's territories anymore. They became good neighbors neighbors to one another. You see, this idea of loving our neighbors and loving our haters is all throughout scripture, right? We see it so show up in several texts. It's just basically the same thing worded a little bit different. Here's some scriptures. Proverbs 25, 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. 
In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. Romans 12, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Matthew 7, so in everything, do to others as you want them to have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And John 17, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Here's the deal. This is the heart of God for his people. He knows that we're not gonna always get along, that we're gonna fight and disagree. We're not gonna see eye to eye, but guess what? We must love our haters. It's the way of Jesus. And here's the deal, you and I know this, it's easy to say, but man, is it hard to live out, right? To love our haters. Author and pastor um, Albert Tate in his book, How We Love Matters, wrote this. He says, we have a father and it is God. He is good and loving toward his family and children. We are our father's children and so that makes us siblings. So yeah, how we love our siblings really, really matters. And I would add, even our siblings who are our enemies or our haters How we love them matters, right? Have you thought about the person you had in your mind who is your hater, who is your enemy and say, oh gosh, how I love my sibling, my brother and sister in Christ really matters. Remember my neighbor, Roger, that I talked about at the beginning of this message? Truth be told, Allison and I, we could have loved him better. We didn't do a lot to love him. Yeah, I mean, we didn't treat him poorly and we didn't write him nasty notes and we were not rude to him. And yeah, we did the whole neighborly, like when I pull into the garage, I wave at you, that kind of thing. But we could have loved him more like Jesus loved me. I mean, what we did really wasn't the way of Jesus. It was more comfortable. It was more convenient for us. But we never invited Roger over for dinner to get to know more of his story. We didn't learn about his family. We didn't understand if he had a health issue. He was a little bit older. We, we never spent time walking across the street to his house and invited him to know Jesus. I mean, this guy was a guy who had a six foot fence around the back and the front of his yard. I'm telling you, to get in his driveway, he had to open the fence. But we didn't walk through the fence and say, hey man, we love you. Do you know Jesus? And it's only as I was writing this message that I realized all these years later, what a miss that was. We missed out on an opportunity to love someone who we didn't get along with. And man, Jesus has modeled this for us. And as his apprentices, he invites us to live like him. And sometimes we have to learn that lesson by not doing the right thing and hopefully doing it better the next time. And that's what I think about when I think about Roger. And here's the deal. It's not just what we do for our haters as well. 
It's how we talk and think about our haters that is important as well. It's just as important as, as how we treat them. Yeah, our actions are necessary, but the way that we let ourselves think and talk about our haters, man, that's a big part of the process as well. So what about you? How can you love a hater in your life? Maybe let's go back to that list we started out with at the beginning. Maybe that's that family member that you can't stand and you don't get along with. What if this July 4th, you didn't avoid them? What if when you guys got together, you went out for coffee and just got to know each other a little bit better? What would it look like for you to have, to invite your coworker to sit down for a clearing conversation and say, man, that hurt my feelings when you said that. That's love. Or, or maybe for you, what if it's um, actually scheduling a time with your boss and saying, hey, I feel overwhelmed. I feel unappreciated. I don't feel like you get me. Or maybe better yet, you could say to your boss, I need some help. That's love. I'm sure on the other side, I would hope they would have compassion for you on the other side of that. Or, or maybe for you, you choose to be a light in the darkness for that, that client or that um, colleague that, or that customer that, that just seems to be rude because deep down, you don't know what they're carrying. Maybe they have a health crisis or a death in the family or they're grieving or some other thing that's weighing them down. And yeah, they may be taking it out on you today, but man, can you be a light in the darkness there and love your hater? I'll go out on a limb here and say, what if, what if you do your best to co-parent with your ex and you choose to not talk bad about them in front of the kids? What if you do your best to be flexible and kind and loving, even if your ex does not reciprocate? Or maybe for you, you and your spouse today can just admit that, yeah, you've just become roommates. And maybe you need to go to counseling and open up those lines of communication so that you don't have an enemy in your own home. Or maybe for you, here's an idea. Maybe you build a relationship with someone from a different political affiliation than you or a different religious conviction than you or a person on the other side of a social issue that you just vehemently agree, disagree with. And what if you develop a relationship with that person and you have no agenda except to listen and learn? I think that's what Jesus would do. Rather than pointing fingers and yelling at someone, I think he would sit down with that person and say, tell me more. Or maybe for you, you're like me and you just need to go over to your neighbor's door and knock on the door and say, I'm sorry. Can we start over? I don't know. I don't know what it is for you. But I, knew, I do know that this is the way of Jesus. It's how he would want us to engage with our haters. And when we walk with Jesus, sometimes he's going to ask us, and I would say many times he's going to ask us to do hard or awkward or uncomfortable things sometimes. 
even loving our haters, he's going to call us to. And this is what Jesus did for us. Yeah, he calls us to it, but he modeled it. Remember these scriptures from Luke 23? Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Or Romans 5, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Christ went first and he showed us the way. He showed us how we can love our haters because he did it for you and for me. So in a moment, we're gonna, I'm going to pray and we're going to sing a song. But before we do, I have a couple of reflection questions that I just want to throw up on the screen just so that you can see them and you process as we wrap up this service. And the first one is, how do you interact with and treat your haters? Like when you think about that person in your mind that we, we've been talking about today, how do you interact and treat them? I mean, are there, is that a relationship or are there other relationships in your life where you need to ask God to give you his lenses and his perspective on how he sees them? And then as we sing the song in just a moment, I, what does loving your haters this week look like practically? I mean, is there one practical thing you can do for that person who's an enemy, who's a hater in your life? Is there some way that you can text them or call them or meet with them or pray for them as the scripture says? Is there at least one practical thing that you can do for your haters this week? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this example from Elisha's life that ties directly to the heart of Jesus. And so God, this is something that we know cognitively, but super hard to live out when we're in the middle of a battle. And so God, we pray that you would give us the strength and the courage to do something with what we've heard today. That you would convict us, Lord. That you would move us towards love and compassion. That we would love our haters in a way that you would love our haters. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.